This morning we sang the familiar words, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room in heaven and nature sing. That classic song was written by the incomparable Isaac Watts in 1719. Uh, most believe that Isaac didn't have the intention of it being particularly a Christmas song. If you think through the lyrics, it particularly speaks to the second coming of Christ and when he will make all things new again. Uh, now, I don't mean to say that the song has no application to Christmas. It surely does because there would be no joyous second coming apart from the joyous first coming of Christ. Uh, there would be no Christ apart from his birth. It most definitely applies to Jesus' birth. Today, we, we continue our Advent season, week number three, and we once again have a glorious collision of Advent season with our Fruit of the Spirit study. We've been working through Galatians for this entire year. We're now here at the Fruit of the Spirit, and so today we will focus our attention on the Fruit of Joy. The fruit of joy. We've talked about love. We've talked about gratitude. We've talked about generosity. And now we jump back into that Galatians 5 verse 22 and look at the next fruit, which is joy. I wonder what comes to your mind when you think of the word joy. What memories, what flavors. <laughs> what comes to your mind when you think of joy? I want to open it up. I want to give you maybe an opportunity to share. This is what I think of when I think of the word joy. Anybody want to shoot something out at us here? Yes. Christmas Day. Christmas Day. Good. Yes. I have that down for me. I, I think of joy and it always takes me back to my childhood and uh, those mornings waking up, mom and dad, and running in. Of course, I felt like I stayed up the entire night, uh, never slept, and uh, getting to open presents and be there with my family. I, I think of that. Those are, those are memories that I have that I, I try to recreate for my kids. I don't know if they care as much as I did, uh, but I like those nostalgia moments. What about, what else? What else do you think of when you think of, of joy? Mitzi. Oh, man. Yeah. Great memory. I like it. John? Um, that night in August in 1973 when I gave my life to the Lord, mm. that probably is for me the one. And then the other one would be the birth of my kids. That's good. That's good. Anybody else? I jotted down a couple other things. Cademan. Uh, when we got our dog. Oh. You, <laughs> are you still joyful about that? Because I don't think I am. <laughs> he brings me very little joy. <laughs> I thought of uh, marrying my bride right here. You know, so many years ago. Uh, joy. The joy of marriage. Uh, a couple summers ago, was able to stand in Yosemite Valley, somewhere I've always wanted to be, and, and just to take that in, it was such a joyful experience seeing this amazing creation 
that God has made. Anybody else? I want to cut anybody off. Dustin. Stop came to me. Is it always rains when we go camping and just have my family? <laughs> One time we were just sitting in the under the canvas and it was just raining and we just kind of laughed about it because it's just it always happens and we just it, we enjoyed it. It was just kind of one of those funny moments that you just despite everything around you, you had your family. That's good. It was all good. That's good. So if we're ever in a famine, take the alcorns on a dust or take the alcorns on a camping trip, and uh, that will remedy the situation. Well, listen, the Bible has a lot to say about joy, or we could use the other word rejoicing. Uh, we find many passages of Scripture and this morning. We're going to start by looking at several of those passages of Scripture. We're going to move through them quickly. They're going to be on the screen behind me so that you can follow along. One of the first uses of the word joy in the Scriptures is 1 Samuel 18 and verse 6. It says, As they were coming home when David returned from striking down the Philistine, speaking of the story of David and Goliath, the women came out of the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And I love that we still get to sing songs of joy with musical instruments every Sunday as we gather together. In Scripture, joy is so often connected to the celebrations that you find both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Think of the, the Feast of the Tabernacles, the, the Passover. Think of for us the Lord's Supper, communion, where we remember, we celebrate. We are filled with joy when we partake of the body and the blood of Christ. We're reminded of what He has given for us. As we move into Israel's songbook, the book of Psalms, we are overwhelmed with references to joy. Here's one for you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt you. Dozens of times we're commanded in the book of Psalms to shout for joy as in Psalm 33.1. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Shouting for joy. So often I think we are so reserved in our rejoicing and in our worship. Uh, many of us will shout for joy at the television uh, when uh, the home run is hit, when the touchdown is scored, when something extraordinary happens with our team. Uh, but shouting for joy in God, we, we somehow hold back. How about this in the Psalm of Repentance, David's famous Psalm of Repentance 51. He pleads this. He says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. David gets that he is missing joy. He no longer hears it. And if we jump down to verse 12 in the same chapter, here's what he says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Jeremiah also speaks of losing his joy in Jeremiah 8.18. He says, My joy is gone. Maybe you've been there before. My joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick within me. And then regaining it in chapter 15, verse 16. I love this passage. Jeremiah says, Your words were found, 
and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy, the delight of my heart. For I'm called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. Isaiah wrote of the joy of restoration. Chapter 51, he says, And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Imagine the world where we no longer have to sigh. No more sorrow. Luke 15 is not on the screen, but Luke 15 is a chapter that speaks of the joy that's found in heaven when the lost coin is found, when the lost sheep is found, when the lost son is found. There's rejoicing in heaven. In the upper room, Jesus referenced joy several times just before his own death. First was in John 15, verse 11. These things, Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Then in chapter 16, verse 20, truly, truly I say to you, you will weep and lament and the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Verse 24, he says, Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. And then finally, bringing that night, that upper room discourse to a conclusion, Jesus prays this to the Father for us. He says, But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. Paul prays a similar prayer in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Danny, I think you shared this on Facebook this morning, didn't you? I saw this. I was like, there's a good, there's a good providential thing. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. When we put all of these things together, we come up with a pretty good definition of joy. I want to give you a technical definition by Aaron Minikoff, and I think I have this in your bulletin for you. But he says this joy is delightful confidence in the triune God who orchestrated, who accomplished, and who applied our salvation. God's people respond to his character, his actions joyfully. Joy is an inward affection that finds an outward expression in praise, adoration, and song. A simpler definition that I like a lot as well, alluding to what Tori has already said, is by Amy Carmichael, former missionary to Israel, or not to Israel, to India. 
She says it's this, joy is settled happiness. It's settled happiness. It's settled because it is rooted in God, whose love for you, whose love for us is unchanging. But today, I want to focus on one particular story in Scripture that is central to God's love for us, fitting for what we celebrate this time of year. So if you would turn with me to Luke chapter number 2, and follow along as I read, beginning in verse 1. Luke chapter 2, I'll begin in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. And he went to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field. They were keeping watch over the flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Father, as we consider the truths here in Luke chapter 2, as we consider this topic of joy, this fruit of joy, Lord, we ask you to bless our time. Spirit, we ask you to cultivate and grow within us, even during our time together today, greater joy can only come from you. And we pray that you would do that miraculous work in us today. And we don't pray it in our own righteousness. We don't pray it in our own name. We pray it in the name of the Savior that you sent. We pray it today in Jesus' name. Amen. We do not get very far into Luke's gospel without realizing that joy is a significant theme. 
It opens with the angel coming uh, to uh, John the Baptist's parents and saying, you're going to have a son, and there's, there's joy that's spoken of. In chapter 1, verse 14, that is described as a joy-filled event. This theme continues as, as the pregnant Mary goes to visit her relative Elizabeth, and when Mary enters the room where Elizabeth is, the baby inside Elizabeth's womb, John, it says he leaps with joy inside of his mother's womb. Why? Because he is in the presence of the Messiah. What an incredible circumstance and story. But the culmination of joy comes in chapter 2 as the angel makes the announcement of Jesus' birth to the shepherds when he says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Notice what happens in this statement. The angel connects the great joy that is for all people with the good news of the birth of Jesus. Do you see that? Why is Jesus' birth good news? What about the birth of Jesus leads us to great joy? Well, for that answer, we, we have to go back to the beginning and consider even the pages of the Old Testament. All throughout the Old Testament, Yahweh has promised that He would send a seed that He would send a son, He would send a servant, He would send a Savior, a child who would fix what we and our sin have broken. He would send a Savior who would be the second Adam, who would do what the first Adam could not do. This second Adam would live in complete obedience to the commands and the holiness of God. Here in Luke 2, the angel says, born this day is that Savior. Born this day is the Christ. Jesus' birth is the good news that salvation has come. Hope has arrived. Great joy is ours for the taking because of this child. In other, word, in other words, a way to put it that's pretty simple is this. Jesus is joy. Jesus is joy. Do you know that joy? Do you know this Savior who has come? Now, if you think I'm simplifying that a little too much, I want to invite you to turn with me to another text, 1 John. 1 John, towards the end of the New Testament. I want to read a verse here with you. Well, a passage here with you. 1 John chapter 1. I want you to see what John has to say about Jesus and joy. He writes this, 1 John 1, verse 1, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, we've looked upon, we've touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Who's he speaking of? He's speaking of Christ. We saw him. We touched him. 
And he says in verse 2, the life was made manifest. It was revealed to us, and we've seen it, and we testify to it. We proclaim it to you, the eternal life, which was with the Father, but now is made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And notice verse 4, and we're writing these things to you, so that your joy may be complete. John knows true joy is only found in Jesus. So how do we grow it? In, in this life, there are many hindrances to joy. There are many roadblocks that present themselves in our lives that keep us from growing in joy. Out of all of the fruit of the Spirit that we will continue to work through in the coming weeks, joy might be the hardest to grow. I, I would certainly say this, joy is the hardest to fake. <laughs> because we can see very clearly when others are not filled with joy. Jerry Bridges, in his book, A Fruitful Life, provides a few hindrances to joy. One, he says, is this, sin in our lives. If we have sin in our lives, we're disobeying the clear commands of our Savior. We will not have joy. It's why David would pray that prayer in Psalm 51, Restore to me the joy of salvation. He had sin in his life. And if you have sin that's weighing you down, sin that you're not confessing and repenting and turning from, your joy will be hindered. A second hindrance to joy is misplaced confidence. When I put my confidence in me, that inevitably leads to failure. And I get a sad face emoji. I don't have joy anymore. It knocks the joy out of me. When I put my confidence in other people who will no doubt fail as well from time to time. That also can knock the joy out of me. That's why we see in Scripture verses that speak of the arm of flesh failing you. Don't put your trust in chariots and horses. Put your confidence, put your trust in the Lord and Him alone. A third way that we can hinder or disrupt joy is when we experience trials. Trials of our faith or discipline that comes from the Lord. If we view these trials wrongly, it will deplete us of our joy. For many, 2020 has been one of those trials. Uh, the blows keep coming. For me, honestly, it hasn't been that bad of a year, but I know for others, uh, the suffering's been great. People have lost their livelihood. People have lost their life. People have lost loved ones. And it's those trials that come our way that tend to rob us of our joy. Satan wants to rob us of our joy, tempting us to sin. Satan wants to rob us of our joy by convincing you to, to depend on yourself 
and watch you fall on your face. Satan wants to rob you of your joy by questioning the trials that God brings into our lives and says, is God really good? Would a good God who loves you bring these trials into your life? That's the temptation of Satan that comes our way. So how do we grow our joy despite the temptation? First, we've got to do this. We've got to linger in His presence. I want to ask you to turn one more, one more passage with me. Psalm 16. I just want you to see this for your, yourself. Psalm 16. We'll look at verse 11. Let's give you some time to get there. First way we grow our joy is by lingering in His presence. Notice Psalm 16:11. You speaking to the Lord, you make known to me the path of life in your presence. There is fullness of joy. If we will grow joy, we must Linger in the presence of our God. How do we do that? We do that by diving into the Word of God. He reveals Himself to us in the pages of this glorious book. He reveals Himself, His presence, His character to us in the stories that we read, in the promises that we embrace We've got to get into the Word of God. We learn of His faithfulness to His people. If we will grow our joy, we must linger in the Word of God. In a couple of weeks, I believe on December the 27th, we're going we're to spend time that Sunday morning talking about some tools that we can use in 2021 that will help us engage in the Word of God that will help us to linger in His presence. Uh, but we also experience the presence in the gift of prayer. In prayer, we're communing. We're having a conversation with our Father who, who longs to hear from us. Who, who wants and pleads that we would bring our requests to Him. When you need grace, he says, come, get some grace. When you need mercy, he says, come and receive some mercy. He invites us to come. He gives us the good gifts that we need as we navigate through this life. Uh, another way that we experience his presence is within the church. It's no accident that that the scriptures refer to this as the body of Christ. We experience the presence of God when we come together. There's a, there's a great verse in Matthew 18 that says, where two or more are gathered, two or three, there am I in the midst. Now, I get the context of that. They're talking about church discipline and kicking people out of the church. But there is a, a principle at the kernel of that that says... 
when the church gathers, I'm there. We experience the presence of Christ when we come together. When you use your gifting to serve and benefit me. When I have opportunity to use my gifting to serve and benefit you, we're experiencing the presence of Christ. If we'll live in the presence of God and the fullness of joy that comes along with it, we have to practice these things. A second, a second way we grow our joy is deepening our trust in Christ. This is the point that Tori kind of stole from me earlier. James 1 reminds us that we are to count it all joy when we enter into the various trials of life. How do we do that? How do we do that, James? Give us some insight. Well, he does give us insight because he says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith, the trial that you're in, will lead to maturity. It will lead you to greater Christ-likeness. God has a purpose in the trial. It is to strengthen your faith. Jesus nor the apostles were silent on the issue of trials. The Bible very clearly prepares us. Trials are going to come. If you follow Christ, it is not going to be easy. It will be difficult. But it is of greatest importance that we know that the trials, the trials that he sends our way are never meant to steal or rob us of our joy, but rather to strengthen our joy as we resolve to put our trust in Christ in the midst of the trials. We can be sorrowful and still have joy. We can grieve the loss of a loved one and still have joy. We can, we can hear the diagnosis, cancer, roll off the tongue of the doctor. And even in that moment, still have joy. Let's consider Habakkuk one more time before we leave this year. You remember his story, right? Habakkuk went to God. He's the prophet. God, you said you were going to judge these people. These knuckleheads still aren't listening to you. When are you going to bring the judgment? So God comes to Habakkuk and says, Habakkuk, I'm about to bring the judgment on Israel. The Chaldeans are coming. And Habakkuk comes back to God and says, wait a second. The Chaldeans are more wicked than we. How can you, a good God, use them to, to judge us? And basically God says, I don't have to explain myself to you. I'll use whatever means I want to use. And Habakkuk has to come to grips with that. Habakkuk has to, in that moment, make the choice, am I going to trust Yahweh or am I going to trust myself? And you might remember at the very end, he, he prays this prayer. Chapter 3 is his prayer that he prays. And at the very end of that prayer, here's what he says. Here's his conclusion. If the Chaldeans are coming, though the fig tree won't blossom and there's not going to be any fruit on the vines and the produce of the olive fails, the field yields no food, the flocks are cut off from the fold and there's no herd in the stalls. 
though we've lost it all, yet I will rejoice in Yahweh. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength, and He will make my feet like deer's feet. He will make me tread on high places. Habakkuk was about to watch his entire world crumble. And it was devastating. You can read Lamentations and Jeremiah and read some of the details of the devastation. But Habakkuk, even going into it, made the faithful commitment, I will rejoice in you. Remember, our joy is not found in the circumstances of life, the good ones or the bad ones. Our joy is in the Lord who does not change. For us, Jesus is joy. This is why I found uh, Aaron Minikoff's advice very helpful. He says this, the key to finding joy is to stop looking for it. Keep your eyes focused on Christ. Then watch and wait because joy will come. I would change one thing about that. I would say because joy will grow as we consider it as a fruit of the Spirit. Finally, uh, we grow joy by returning again and again to the good news of Jesus. The good news that that angel announced that night 2,000 years ago unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. He is Christ the Lord. Joy is settled happiness and our happiness can never be settled in circumstances. Why? Because circumstances are constantly changing. But our joy is found and settled in the God whose love for us spans all of eternity. This holiday season, don't look for joy in the honey-baked ham. I got my order in, and it's going to be good. But it'll be gone in two days. And if my joy's in that ham, then my joy is gone. Don't look for joy in gifts that you give, gifts that you receive, the decorations that are so lovely. I say it every year. I love this time of year because I love seeing all the lights, the decor. Don't even look for joy in your family. Here's the thing. All of these things are lovely, but they're all fleeting. Some of you will gather around tables this year and for the first time there will be somebody that's not there. And if your joy was found in that person, you're on sinking sand. It's unsettled. Our joy is never found in the things of this world. Our joy is in Jesus, because Jesus is joy. It's settled in the God who loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son so that we might not perish, but so that we could have everlasting life. 
As Isaac Watts wrote so many centuries ago, there's a day coming when our joy will be complete. I love that third verse where he says, No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Because of Jesus, joy is ours. Because of Jesus, someday soon, our joy will be complete. That's hard to fathom. We can't quite get there with our brains. We've never known it. But we can come close when we get to the point where we believe and profess the truth. Jesus, and Jesus alone, is joy. Would you bow with me this morning for just a moment? I want to give you an opportunity to pray. With your head bowed, I, just, I want to ask a couple of questions of you. Maybe give you a springboard of things you could pray for in this moment of response. How would you rate your joy? How joyful are you? And if, if you say, well, my joy is pretty low, then, then why? What is, what is it that's hindering your joy? Is it sin in your life? Is it misplaced confidence, misplaced trust? Or are you allowing the trials of life, Satan, to, to move in and convince you that, that God doesn't have your good in mind? What's hindering your joy? And, and what commitments do you need to make? If we'll grow our joy by being in the presence of God, what commitments do you need to make to be in His presence? Where are you failing to find that fullness of joy in Him?